I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen. And yeah, guys, it's I'm recording this on today's Monday. Yeah, today's Monday. Um and it'll be Sunday when you're listening to it. Um, I mean, the truth is, I, I don't even know what what to fucking say. I feel like this past week has been a, a metaphysical shit show. <laughs> but onward and upward we go. Um, so, hi, Luna. Luna's turned into Tagalong. Um, in case you guys don't know, that's the cat. Um but on to much more important things of note. So, A, I got a new microphone today. So, I can talk to my two guests and not have them playing microphone hacky sack or pass the peas, whatever. <laughs> so, Kate Hagan and Franklin Leonard from The Blacklist. Welcome. Hello. Hello there. Hello. How this, is when we ju- this is when we jump in. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing really well. I think uh, your comment about last week being a metaphysical sort of disaster slash maelstrom is dead on, though. Like, it's Monday. It feels very tired. <sighs> and it has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what to make of it, but today has felt strange. Yeah, I mean, I actually got some sleep watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> Especially read Justin Timberlake's performance. Yes, Ooh. I said what I said. Yeah, you're <laughs> not wrong. And I didn't appreciate the fact that you and Ava were tweeting about it. And I was like, ooh, what's going to happen? I Something honest, really yeah. exciting is going to happen. And yeah. then I watched and I was like, what the fuck is this like? It was not. A, we were not tweeting about Justin. We were tweeting. No, I- in fairness, I tweeted that something utterly incredible was going to happen. Ava then shortly thereafter tweeted that 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 film Twitter would explode. And we were talking about uh, Netflix's release of um, the Cloverfield Paradox immediately after the Super Bowl. Gotcha. Which was, in the grand scheme of film business models and sort of film releasing strategy, an utterly incredible thing. Mm -hmm. Add to that the fact that it's, a black director, a very diverse cast. It's a sci-fi film led by Gugu Mbatha-Raw, which you don't really see very often. It felt a, a, that along with, you know, the day after Jordan won Best New Director at the DGAs, mm-hmm. a week before Black Panther comes out, a month before Wrinkle in Time comes mm-hmm. out. It felt like a continuance of a moment uh, in black film in Hollywood, and that is why we were geeked. Shortly after I tweeted that, I, my mentions and Ava's, because we were texting back and forth, were a fire with speculation about Janet Jackson performing during the halftime show, about uh, something involving the national anthem, and I realized that it was not a genie that I could conceivably put back in the bottle, so I just went nearly silent. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Or started tweeting just obliquely about other things. Uh, Uh, But yes, a lot of people were like, there are people still in my mentions being like, so what was the amazing thing that happened during the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was going to be that Ava was going to direct a Star Wars movie and they were going to announce it during the Super Bowl. Mm. So you got my hopes up for that. (laughs) Yeah, I think the thing that I think people should remember, and it was funny, I saw a lot of people speculating about that. Like, Uh, oh my God, Ava's directing a Star Wars movie or, you know, Ava's about to announce like a new secret documentary like she did with 13. Yes. I think the thing, had I been on the outside of this one, my assumption would have been that Ava never would have so aggressively hyped something that she was about to put out. That the only way that she would do that is if she was trying to put shine on somebody else, which was the case. Yeah. It's just hard for me to imagine a scenario where Ava's like, oh man, film Twitter's about to explode tonight, and then it's like, I have a new documentary. Or like, I'm about to start a Star Wars movie. Like, she would wisely leave that to somebody else to sort of put the shine on her 
And that was why I thought about people, maybe their excitement was misplaced in that regard. But yes, I, I don't know how we could have done it differently, but perhaps we should have. <laughs> but, but that said, I was very proud to have played a part in increasing the attention on this movie that whatever you think of the film is a remarkable moment in film history and yet another, I believe, very talented black director whose career I'm very excited to, to follow. Amen to that. Absolutely. I didn't watch a minute of the Super Bowl this year, guys. I think it's the first time in my life this has ever happened that I didn't watch a minute of the Super Bowl. I went to Ikea because I was promised that Ikea was deserted on Super that Bowl was Sunday. That my favorite tweet of uh, the entire Super Bowl. It was not. It was very busy. <laughs> was everyone, had the same, <laughs> everyone had the same idea. Uh, I got a very nice new plant and some candles, though, which is what I go to Ikea for, so I guess it's okay. Wait, you went to, uh, all the way to Ikea for a plant and, new ca- and candles? <sighs> Well, a friend was going because she just moved to North Hollywood. But uh, I got some other just general Ikea stuff. You know, the stuff that you're there and you're like, I definitely need this. Right. I just want to make sure you did not go all the way to Ikea for a plant and candles. No, I mean, the plant was a great deal and it looks great in my living room. (laughs) But I wouldn't have traveled all the way to Burbank for it. That's what I'm getting at. Wow. I mean, A, that's 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 being a very good friend. Exactly. Um, because that's where relationships normally go to die. Uh, I love hearing small talk in IKEA. Just families crumbling before your eyes over just like what TV stand are we gonna get? And just like it's all disintegrating right there in the IKEA. It's so true. And it's 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 IKEA. It's yeah. I, I like IKEA is the furniture that you get when you have commitment issues. <laughs> Or limited funds, I yes. think is the yeah. only way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, look, I think that IKEA has always served a remarkable place as like you can you can furnish an apartment that will look not terrible for very little money. Yes. And as somebody who is both cheap and and you know <laughs> likes a certain aesthetic standard, yeah. IKEA, I I have I am almost forty years old, but I will I will not turn my nose up at IKEA. No, I, I, I do understand what you're saying. I mean, I don't. We don't even have a bed, so you just mattress on the ground. Yeah, before. we do. Yeah. It's very. I did that for a while. It's, we've all done it. It's, it's very fun. bohemian. I was just it, gonna yeah. say it's very bohemian. It's very. It's also apparently very Japanese. I don't know anything about Japanese culture in that sense specifically, but my sense is that's you know. Well, from what I know of Japanese culture, a I have no desire to appropriate it. Yeah. B. Um, the beds are low, right? But, but they're, they're still not elevated. necessarily mm. on right. the ground. You're totally right. Um, and they normally have very wide, um, why can't I think of the word? Um, like very wide slats on the outside. Yeah. Which really sucks for someone like me who continually has black and blue marks on their shins. And knees yeah, that'll and do bumps it. Bumps into everything. Yeah, 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 that'll do it. I'm not. I don't have enough serenity. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hotel room bed like that once, and I yeah, black and blue shims every time I left. Yeah, not fun. Yeah, not fun at all. Um, and so, speaking of black and blue marks and and things that hurt, um, let's delve into a. You just went to Sundance. I did. You just got back. Just got back. Kate, you did not go. I did not go. I was dealing with some personal health stuff. That is fine, but I had to deal with it. Um, which is very important. Totally. And we were talking before Franklin got here that um, <clears throat> the last few years have been uh, trying in, in every single way, shape, and form. Um, and, and it manifests itself as it manifests. Um, and like I know that you and I um, have talked more than Kate and I in, in the sense of <clears throat> what's going on within the industry, you know, and... <clears throat> feel like we should just have a hat here and just like pick a subject like let's sexism let's in the let's industry let's do it. Let's <laughs> racism do it. that's actually a industry. fun idea for yeah. a podcast generally <laughs> what what hollywood problems can we solve exactly. tonight yes yeah. exactly tonight's tonight's this is an episode of the hat hashtag the hat do you know what i'm actually gonna you're implement welcome. i'm gonna to implement it. that into my <laughs> podcast from now on it's a great yeah. idea and i'm gonna have a segment called the hat where somebody has to pick something up i hat. think it's a great idea um thank you All for right, that we'll, we'll fake it today yeah okay so you went to sundance yep a how was it uh exhausting but it was good i i look it was my 15 year 15th year at the festival i believe uh i love going there's an energy there 
that feels exciting about like okay what new filmmaker are, are we going to discover this year like who's going to sort of put something on the screen that's going to blow us all away and then we get inspired to try to chase that high again for the next year so I love it it's always exhausting I'm glad to be home but you know it's Sundance it's it's an anchor for the year if you will yeah and who did you find anybody uh, unfortunately, I did not see any movies this year because I was too busy taking meetings, <laughs> moderating panels, <laughs> and hosting events for the Blacklist. Uh, I've seen two movies in the last two years, and the one, uh, one movie in the last two years, and it was Get Out. So my track record's strong. But um, You should just keep it in a thousand. I know. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I should just <laughs> never see another Star Wars uh, movie again. No, I... Um, I miss it. It actually makes me really sad because it's the thing that I loved going to Sundance for was the like going into a dark room, sitting next to people you don't know, and seeing a movie about which you know nothing, um, and just seeing where it took you. And that's a really incredible experience, especially when they're really good, um, and even when they're not that good, because there's great moments and some not so good moments, and then you sit and talk about it for hours afterwards. So I didn't get you to do that at all. But no, I think there's a lot of really exciting voices that came out of the festival this year, and I, I think it's notable that like literally every film that won an award this year was made by a woman. Which, which makes me hopeful. I'm just going to look at my nails. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm, yes, and. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm not yeah. surprised. I'm just saying it's, yeah. it's a good thing. No, and, it's a and beautiful a, thing. And the real, but the real question and the question that I, I hope people don't forget about is, okay, well, we've now established that these women can direct a feature film and direct a really good feature film. Who's going to give them money for their second movie? Because there's a lot of numbers, and Sundance and Women in Film have done a ton of research on this, that like the real challenge actually for women, as hard as it is to get your first film made, even if you make it and have success with it artistically, it is much harder to get the second film. Uh, and that is where the sort of real disparity between sort of women high getting their, getting movies made and, women, and men getting movies made seems to happen is on that second movie. So I applaud everybody involved with these first films and the, the success they had at Sundance, but... Uh, if we care to put our money where our mouth is, they should all have movies in develop. They should all have movies in production within the next eighteen months. Well, and the idea that like so many of these Sundance movies, even movies that land really well at the festival, don't end up getting the distribution that is helpful yeah. to them at all. I mean, Stacy Smith from USC, who does all sorts of brilliant research on gender and media, uh, talks about this that you know, movie can win a prize at Sundance, be well, really well received, and then it just gets dumped in four theaters and never gets released on DVD, and then that woman doesn't get to make a second movie, and that's a huge bummer. And we have to figure it out some way around that one hopes that that's what we start to use more streaming for although i would say sometimes with streaming things get buried too and that can be frustrating oh yeah absolutely and i i think that also goes to you know who you surround yourself with like mm. what um who are your representatives you know absolutely. do they do they believe in you as much as you believe in you do they believe in your vision yeah. just as much if not more than you believe in you that and are willing to not tell you to take the lowest common denominator right. because it's the thing that's offered, you know, and are, are intelligent enough to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And because like, yes, we make movies because we love movies. We love telling stories. We love getting to be able to, um, make an audience think and feel and get to be transformed if the movie is effective and doing its job. And also there is money involved. Yeah. You know, it, like it is a business, you know. So it's, uh, I think it's also that women historically, you know, we've been taught to accept the first thing that comes along because we're we're never educated in terms of what our worth is and if we do have an intuitive feeling as to what our true worth is um <clears throat> the gaslighting starts mm -hmm. like what are you talking about that's too much you're crazy ba 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 like my friend Arlen Hamilton who's the um founder of backstage capital you know, she she always says, "I came for the cake, not the crumbs." Yeah, I follow her on Twitter. She's a boss. I absolutely <laughs> adore her. Uh, like total boss. Like huge fan. Looking forward to meeting her someday. She's the fucking best. She was actually on my podcast last week. Nice. Um, yeah, I like drove up to San Francisco to we see were in her. Very good company. Yeah, she's, <laughs> that's she's terrific. 
she's so beautiful and so incredible um well and just this idea that you know if you do start asking for these kinds of things you know whether they be artistic or financial or whatever then you suddenly become quote unquote difficult and then you know so many you see it these younger male directors I feel like a lot of times get so many passes where if a woman makes like 10% of their mistakes she never gets to work again and that's just outrageous I mean the the idea of branding women for life when men get away with so much in the industry is extremely frustrating yeah and I I feel like it's it's um you know like me and my my partner are like in the middle of writing something right now you know and we like have some other stuff that's in development and I'm grateful like I'm 35 years old I've been in this business for almost 30 years 28 years it's insane Um, and and with that have finally found those individuals that you know um, there's this great quote that I love trust but verify Mm -hmm. you know where I feel like women no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put a general blanket statement. For me, I had historically been so trusting under the guise of, oh, they finally get it. Ba, 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 ba. Um, but never having the verification to back it up. And I think that there's something, too, to be said where it, it sometimes can take a hot minute to find your pack in the sense of um, having had enough experience in the eyes of getting fucked over and getting to have those stepping stones and opportunities for growth to be like, yep, this is not acceptable, this is not acceptable, this is not acceptable, this is not acceptable, and being very upfront and honest about it. And because I feel truthfully at the end of the day, most men in this business in particular are terrified of women that know their power. I don't don't know that I would limit that to the industry. I I think it's (laughs) most men in general. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, But but especially I feel in this industry in regards to you have – the egos are out of fucking control, you know? Um, And I love that, you know, we have, like, Issa, we have Ava, we have um, Jill Soloway, we have (sighs) Lexi Alexander, who still, I mean, talk about, like, she won won a fucking Academy Award. And, like, it's finally now. Yeah. just getting to the other side. And that was like, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, something like that. It was exactly that. 15 years ago because she was represented by my first boss in the business when I was an assistant to yeah. her agent. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the tide is changing, and, and I personally am excited. And I feel that women are going to um, have the ability to have a lot more resources. Because I look at somebody else like Emily Best from Seed and Spark, you know, and there are so many women that I feel... and men who are allies, you know, that are putting together resources, putting together lists, putting together individuals and relationships and contacts that are enabling um, women filmmakers to have that opportunity and not just have the opportunity, but then to succeed and continue. I think it's great. We're definitely, I think one of the really positive parts of this moment in time is you see so many more women shouting for things they love on social media. I mean, it's just, you were talking about a tribe earlier, just like this idea that you find your pack, you find your people, and you're just supporting everything that you're doing within the group, whether that means that, you know, you know each other in person, you know each other on the internet, but just like taking the time to shout out things that are doing great, that are saying important things for women, and even not work by women, it can be worked by anybody. Um, but just, you know, building this community where we need to talk about the things that are negative and that, you know, are uncomfortable and hard. But we also need to be like, oh, this movie was fucking great and I need to tell somebody about it. And I think sometimes we forget about that part of it, especially on social media. Uh, let's celebrate more, guys. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So then with that, like, what work would you celebrate? Like, what work have you seen recently that would be like, yes? Oh, what if I Literally, were? Kate can do this for hours. <laughs> just as an um, FYI. Oh, boy. Um, oh, I, I just... I go to work every day excited for this monologue on a daily basis. Um, I'm going to talk about my favorite Netflix show, One Day at a Time. Um, it's unbelievable. It does not get the attention it deserves. Um, it is the most interesting reinvention of the sitcom I think anybody could have pulled off. Uh, okay. So Norman Lear is still involved. It's the same premise as the 70s, One Day at a Time. Um, but it is a family from Cuba led by Justina Machado and Rena Moreno, who is just, guys, Rita Moreno in this part. It's so good. Um, and, you know, uh, they've taken the Schneider character, which could be this just, like, horn dog douchebag, and turned him into just, like, what does the wo- like wokest white person hipster look like in 2018? Um, it's so funny. It's so sad. It's beautiful. Um, get over the laugh track in the pilot. Like I know it's 2018, and you're like, really a laugh track? Um, I love this show, and not enough people watch it. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you have nothing because you don't watch movies. I, I mean, no. I mean, look, I'm still. So I got to see Black Panther. Uh, I got to go to the premiere. Um, And I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And I think, and it's sort of absurd to me to be shouting out a Marvel movie as the, like, example of the thing that I'm most excited about. But I think it's sort of the flip side. Like, I think I have a reputation of being, like, very indie in my taste. And I am. Like, show me a good movie made for a budget under a million dollars. Like, I'm in. But I'm, I'm honestly kind of omnivorous in my taste. Like, if the movie's made for $200 million and it's really good, I'm in. Yeah. Um, and I think that what Black Panther's doing, like, just on a pure, I want to go watch a comic book movie, it's excellent. Yeah. On a, I want to watch a big budget studio movie that's saying something about the world, it's excellent. Uh, I want to watch a movie that is revolutionary in its spirit, it is also excellent. I want to watch a movie that has a point of view about gender politics and sexual politics in 2018. It is excellent. Denai Guerrero steals this movie. Like, yeah. no, learn the name now because you'll be hearing it again and a lot. Um, and again, I think it's hard as a black person, it's very hard for me to be even remotely objective having <laughs> seen the movie. Like, I just need to see that from jump. But that's only because there have been so few movies like this, arguably none, in the course of my almost 40 years on Earth. And... Uh, I loved it, and I think it's going to make all the money, and I'm really excited for it. So, yeah, Black Panther, shocking, but true. Okay. I saw this conversation on Twitter. People were trying to figure out what, like, the closest comp to Black Panther was in terms of, like, budget, scale, cast, and it's really hard to come up with. It's Wonder Woman. I mean, in terms of, like, an all-black cast for... Oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah, but I mean, just, like, (laughs) not even, like... I have an answer for that. It doesn't exist. uh, Not even at the, like, superhero budget level, but just, like, I don't know, like, a $75 million... Like, people were talking about Demi's Beloved at the time being, like, a huge... No, I mean, you'd probably go... Well, Beloved, because it's primarily black characters or no real white characters, right? Like, so the other comps would be, like, Amistad. Yeah. Or, um, I don't know... Uh, the problem that we can't come up Roots, with. Roots, but yeah, as a miniseries. No, but but because the, but this is the thing. It didn't exist, right? The closest you could come up with would be like uh, the Will Smith zombie movie because he's the only black character on screen and it was a large budget. Yeah. Um, so technically, like that would probably yeah. be the closest comp. And shocker, that movie made a lot of money too. So I, I just... I have, I, have, I have long monologues about Hollywood's treatment of race and gender, but like fundamentally... As important as it is for, like, ethically and culturally for us to get representation right, and it is painfully important that we do get them right, it is equally important and painfully important that we get it right for pure capitalist financial reasons. When you make movies that represent the world in which we live, people that live in that world pay money to see them, and you make money. Look no further than Wonder Woman, look no further than the new Star Wars movies, look no further than Black Panther in two weeks. Wrinkle in time in a month, like the list goes on and on. The Fast and Furious franchise, like Coco, like just make movies about the people who live in the world. It, it shouldn't be that hard. And guess what? Like 50% of the world, if not more, is women. And we haven't been making movies by, for, and about them for years. There's money to be made. 
go make it. Sorry, that was my rant. It's fine. It always We're happens. We're on the same page. It always, we it always, want the it same al- things. It literally always happens. <laughs> always. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the back to Stacey Smith, but she talks about the budgets that female directors are given versus the budgets <coughs> that male directors are given and just this idea that you, you know, can't trust women with a budget above, I don't know, $15 million is insane. It's and absolutely insane. And you know what's so funny is that historically – you know, men go off to work and women take care and they take care of the budget. (laughs) That's and all of the logistics and all of the day to day, almost like a director. Oh, wait, what? What? (laughs) It's managing children or people with childlike egos. (laughs) Same basic idea. It's, it's absolutely insane. And I think there is something to be said where, You know, just like the election of Barack Obama, you know, Shirley Chisholm, you know, um, any time you have somebody that rises to a position of power and gets to be that shining light, gets to be that beacon that enables others to be like, oh, this is possible for me as yeah. well, right? Um and the idea historically that women have been subjugated and brainwashed into having a patriarchal view, you know, um, within themselves of how things work and how things should go and what you can do and what you can't do and blah, 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 what you're allowed to ask for, what you're not allowed to ask for. And I love fuck permission. <laughs> like yeah. fuck permission are you fucking kidding me no men never have to ask permission they just do the thing I mean and that's and here's the thing <laughs> men should be asking for permission all the time especially like th- that's the flip side of the <laughs> yeah. you know the, then we come to meet you and time's up mm-hmm. you know um, men not asking for permission because they've been so indoctrinated into I take what I want, and it's it, it, there's no such thing as no. There's there's no such thing as no in their vocabulary. Not all men, just a big majority of them, especially in this industry, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, I think the other thing is sort of the 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 corollary that comes with like if you can see it, you can be it. And again, not to center men in this dynamic, but like. I think it's really important that men see women like women should, like it's important that women see women in positions of authority so they know they can be in positions of authority and also that women see themselves right but it's also important that men see women in positions of authority in sort of our public imagination in movies and television but also in real life because it means that they will recognize that they belong there just as much as men do right like it's 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 important to me to have a female president because I want young men in America to look at the White House and say oh the most important person in the country is a woman, and that's where she lives. And so if I have a teacher or a boss or a peer, and they take a leadership position or they step into a position of authority, they belong there just as much as their male peers, if not more. And I think there's a real problem, and I think we saw it with Hillary, that there's an instinctive reaction to very qualified women who are ambitious. The default assumption is, She's too ambitious, she's too pushy, she's not pleasant to be around, and that's why we don't like her. When, I don't know if it was my mother or my father or my grandmother or whatever happened in my upbringing, but when I look at someone like, I'm like, yeah, she's ambitious, she wants to be president, and she's super qualified. I hope we can have somebody super qualified running stuff. Um, Sadly, well, actually, a majority of American voters did feel the same way. Sadly, not in the right states. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah, I still haven't gotten over it. None of us are over it. I mean, are we ever going to be over it as a people? Maybe. But you I know mean, what? Decades. But I'll tell you what, though. Here's here's the thing. You know, and my, my love had brought this up, and I think she's absolutely correct. And I'll share this. I, I will share this freely. So February 2016, I went down to Costa Rica. Um, 
to participate in an ayahuasca ceremony that was a week long. And I'd never done it before, blah, 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 blah. And I actually don't know if I've ever said this on this podcast. Um, it's not something I share, but I feel it's kind of important and timely. I remember that second night, the session where, fuck, fuck, fuck. It was insane and it was intense and it's something that lasts like eight hours. Um, and I'd never, I'd never done it before. And I remember hearing Donald Trump is going to win. He's going to win. And like it's important that he wins. Because we're actually, it's it, it's almost like a, I think of like Lord of the Rings, you know, when like Saruman and like the call comes yeah. and like all of the drudges come out from like. Yeah, you, 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 got, you, got, you got to bring out all the evil so you can kill it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so with that, I, I get to see that if my love had said, like if Hillary had become president, we wouldn't have the Time's Up right now that we have. We wouldn't necessarily have the Me Too. We wouldn't have the, the huge wave and rise in power that we've been seeing in regards to women, not just in this country, but all over the world. And I feel like Hillary, and I, I agree with, with what Heather said, you know, like, Hillary made, like, the ultimate sacrifice for, like, the greater good of all of us, where it's the most unqualified, <laughs> <laughs> the most yeah. unqualified, <laughs> dumbass motherfucker. Yep. That doesn't know his fucking ass <laughs> from his elbow. Like, doesn't know how to read. Like, literally doesn't know how to read. That is the allegation in the Michael Wolf book. Um, <laughs> I believe it, man. Oh, boy. I, I mean, just, he's, he's the one that's quote-unquote in power yeah. right now. And so I feel like even though things can look really fucking shitty and are really fucking shitty for a lot of us right now, yeah. that also, I look at like Paris in the 20s. Yeah. You know, I look at Stein, I look at fucking Dolly, I look at um, uh, Hemingway, you know, I, I, I look at... Uh, Ezra like, Pounds. Jesus, fucking, there's so fucking many people. Yeah, yeah. And some of the greatest art was birthed. You know, and it's it doesn't mean that you need to that the world needs to be in pain in order for you to produce great art. I, I definitely don't buy that narrative. And I feel, though, with everything that's going on, if you are an artist, if you are a creator, if you are a writer, if you are a director, if you are a photographer, whatever the fuck it is that you do, what are you doing to create change? How are you utilizing and alchemizing and transforming the feelings of rage and anger and sadness and hopelessness and powerlessness onto the page? Like, what are you doing with, with what's being given? You know, um, you can use it and eat ice cream on the couch for like a year, which I'm sure a lot of people did, and that's fine. It's also possible to do both, to eat the ice cream and to rage on the page. And I think that's sort of the optimal thing. Like, you've got, and sort of back to the thing about self-care. Like, if you don't have the fuel to rage, none of it is, like, you shouldn't tear yourself apart to rage against the system that is trying to tear you apart. You've got to do both. I think the thing that really I struggle with is, you know, I'm very well off. I'm very lucky. I, I, I live comfortably. I, I run the blacklist. I've got a great team of people. Um, I don't worry for much in my life. And so as, as frustrating, as angry as, as the Trump administration makes me, I'm going to be okay. And I think that along a long enough time horizon, the world is going to be okay. Yes. And I think America will be okay. The problem is that there are a lot of people in this country that don't have the benefit of everything that I have, and they may not be okay. You know, I think about dreamers. I think about folks who have opiate addictions who are not going to get help because of the they're, a they're not even addressing the opium problem, but they're also not addressing the healthcare issue. I think about people who, you know, um, 
are Muslim or black or trans who are going to be victim of increased hate crimes. And, like, they don't have more time. And so it's really it's hard for me to sort of embrace the theory of we needed Trump to really move things along when I know that there will be real substantive pain and death uh, and grief that will be caused by him. But that does give me some, like, that theory does give me some solace when I go into a really dark place, and I do occasionally. And it does feel like, I don't know, I felt this way growing up, that, like, children of the 90s were sold this idea of, like, we're a post-racial society, we're a post-gender society, everybody is equal 100% of the time, and, like, let's lean into that. And that's not true, and that's never been true, and the fact that we pretended that we had dealt with these issues and moved past them was just not a thing we should have been selling to a generation of kids. Like well, we had Bill Clinton with the saxophone. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I always forget about Clinton on Arsenio Hall with the saxophone. Uh, and I'll be honest, I remember that. Like, I remember watching it and thinking, like, this represents progress. Yes. Like, things have changed. Yes. And yeah. granted, I was like 12 or 13 at the time, so I, have a, I had a good excuse. Or I think maybe I was younger than that, actually. I was maybe 10. But, like, it is remarkable. You're right. We had Bill Clinton with the saxophone. That yeah. felt like progress. And we had also, the, like, there was family matters. Yeah. There was no, there was a ton a of stuff. There, like, so, because how old are you? I'm 28. <gasps> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. I'm sorry for being I'm like, 28. Oh, my God. You're just yeah. going through your Saturn return. I sure am, Heather. <laughs> oh, boy, am I ever. <laughs> oh, my God. We have so much to talk about. I promise you, it does get better. It really does. Um, I, I'm, my no, 30s were great. It's interesting. I do, like, it has been a painful couple of years, painful couple of months, but there is this sense of just like, well, you know, it's like we've dug out most of the bad stuff, and the only bad stuff that's still sticking around is the really stubborn bad stuff, and getting that out is going to be the hardest, most painful part for everybody, but we're so close to being on the cusp of a new era that, like, we've just got to put our heads down and get through this, but the yeah. getting through it is tough, man, like... I've just been trying to be super patient with myself and just, like, there's some nights when you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit on this couch and I'm going to watch Netflix until I fall asleep on the couch, yeah. and that's okay. Yes. You can't yes. do that every night, but, like, you also need to not just be like, oh, I'm not doing something. I need to be doing more constantly. You can't do that, you can't do that every night? <laughs> Franklin. That's what, that's what I... <laughs> I mean, I do, I'm working also while the Netflix is on until I fall asleep, but, but I mean... I do that a lot of nights. It's not always Netflix, to be clear. <laughs> I literally just had a conversation with Heather about this, where, you know, we'll work until 10, 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. and then, like, not get to bed till like, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then it's like, what the fuck? You know, but it's literally, like, working, 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 yeah. working, 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 and having to, at least for me... You're like, all right, six o'clock, I'm done. I'm not working anymore. Like, I'm done. Take like four or five hours to decompress, wake up early, start again. You have far much, far much more self discipline than <laughs> I do. Well, well, I mean, today's going to be like the first day, and it doesn't like, uh, count because right. it's like podcast. Yeah, day, exactly. Because here we are. You know, it but is, otherwise. Yeah, it's tough to set those kind of boundaries, I feel like, in every area of your life, and like particularly all of this exterior stress that everyone is dealing with. Like, I think sometimes we start doing our like kind of comforty things, and like a lot of times you're like, you know what I could do instead of thinking about the news, I could work some more. And then you're just like, but wait a minute, I have burnt myself out on working and the news is still just as bad as it was before I did. And I'm glad I did the work, but also I'm very tired. It's a tough cycle. It's, this is why it's really important. And it's only, it took me till my late thirties to even start to do this. It was just to find like things that distract you from your everyday life that are also healthy and valuable. So like going to the gym, which seems so pedestrian and obvious, but it helps. Like, go figure. When I make it to the gym a couple days a week, I feel better. And I feel better able to sort of withstand the, like, slings and arrows of everyday life uh, better than I did. Or even, like, dumb things. Like, I'm a big soccer fan. I wake up on Saturday mornings to watch, like, British soccer games. That's my, like, you know what? I don't care what else is going on. I don't care if Trump is tweeting. I'm watching this, like, mid-tier English Premier League match. And, you know, it's not productive necessarily, 
but it makes me very happy and it makes me wake up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday, so that's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, and that's the thing. It's, it's getting to find your joy. Yeah. Like the things that make that's you happy, really the is. things that bring you yeah. joy. You know, so what do you do? Uh, what do I do? Um, speaking of Saturn turns, I it's been a big like change. Couple of months for me. I just got out of a very long term relationship. How but, long? Uh, seven years <gasps> living together. So yeah, and like my Mima always said, seven year cycles and like a new seven year cycle at twenty eight with the Saturn return. I'm very into all this right now, guys, as you yes. can tell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm living alone for the first time in my life, and I'm really just kind of figuring all that out again because you get in the relationship codependency, and you're like. What do I like to do? Yes. Uh, yes. Lately, it is obsessive po- uh, playlist making on Spotify. Just okay. like going very deep on Spotify stuff. Okay. Uh, and I've actually been writing a lot lately, which is great. So that's nice to, you know, use your home office for creative things and not only work things. What a concept. <laughs> yeah. <Holy cow. laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Trying, man. Trying to figure it all out. Yeah see what Saturn has in store for me still all all beautiful things I got out of mine I was engaged and I'd been with somebody for seven years and then right when my Saturn return was ending when I turned 30 it's so right before I turned 30 when I was 29 got out of the seven-year relationship engagement yeah it's very real I mean I it's funny to talk to people my age and people a couple years older and they're just like oh boy strap in yeah you'll get through it but uh yeah and it's all good yeah it's it's all good and also like to your point what what you were saying earlier about you know um that like yeah like there are a lot of people that are going to be affected and and potential like you know, I I also, like, think in terms of globally, right, where it's there are always going to be people that are affected, that are fighting for their lives, that are fighting for their freedom, that are fighting for the ability to feel safe and feel comfortable. Like FDR, when he was talking about that, every single person should be able to have a roof over their head. You know, every single person should be able to afford health care. Not even afford, be able to go to the doctor, period. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I, too, am, am in a position where... You know, I have a roof over my head. You know, I have a platform. I've been doing this for a really long time. And I still walk home with a knife in between my fingers. And that extols a lot of energy. You know, like, I'd, I, like, since this is sharing hour, you know, like, I remember when I had, like, $54 in my bank account, and I reached out to Franklin. I was like, can I become a reader? <laughs> like, can I become a reader? Like, I, I, I'm willing to do this. Like, because I, I need to be able to, like, fucking, like, put food on the table, you know, and, and pay basic bills. And, and you were very generous and very loving and... and um, you know, like I had to go through like the process of like getting approved and like definitely had the moment of like, oh shit, what if I don't get approved? What if I actually really suck? Like you said, you have 28 years of experience in the business, I think, and you've <laughs> proven at this point that you know how to read a screenplay and provide feedback. Yeah, but with, but with that too, right? Like here I am because I'm in such a fear-based place yeah. and because I'd, I was coming to you um, like one of the most humbling things I've ever experienced in the sense of can I do this um, and and then not even being sure and having like a moment of oh no what if what if I actually am not that good what if I actually suck right. um, and then I spent like almost two years mm-hmm. like reading for the blacklist and like it also provided me an incredible education in terms of getting to look at scripts objectively and and all of that stuff and so what i'm saying is this right where <sighs> there's like a lot of fucked up shit 
everywhere. And the biggest thing that we all fear is death. We do, because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. It's just a matter of when. You know, like, who the fuck knows? Mm -hmm. You know, I could, like, who the fuck knows? Um, And we want to be able to live as long as possible. And we want to be able to have, like, our families taken care of, which motivates us to work even more and, like, all of that shit. But it's, like, is fear the tailwind or the headwind? Um, And I, I feel that, especially in this country where we've been told to be stoic and to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and like whatever and like just get it done and like don't ask for help don't let them see you sweat don't let them see you in a moment of weakness and a moment of vulnerability because that means ba 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 and they talk about like pride going before the fall and it's you know Every single person that I know that I I get to have like a very beautiful, solid relationship with, um, they're survivors, they're fighters, and they're thrivers, you know? And um, I feel like we're getting to have an opportunity now more than ever before because of social media, because of things like Twitter, where, you know, Arlen Hamilton, who was doing like a thing of like I just got like an inheritance from my 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 grandfather who was recently deceased and now I want to give five hundred dollars to ten people. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that tweet and then I put that in a like secret DM group that I'm a part of on Twitter and then Alyssa Milano and Deborah Messing retweeted it yep. because they retweeted it. Then other people retweeted it. And not only that, they were like, okay, I'll give 500. I'll give 500. Cut to now, a fucking week later, there's an actual website up now where people can actually donate to creatives and entrepreneurs that are like, if I had $500, I'd be able to do this. Oh, that's great. This, this, and this. Yeah. And, like, Arlen's story, like, she was homeless. Like, two years ago. Like, a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. Like, and now look. You know, so. I know that, like, life on Earth is so fucking hard. And there have been so many times that I've desired to go home, quote, unquote. Yeah. And just not be here anymore. But I, I cannot. I cannot believe that. What's happening right now in the United States, in the world, is in vain. That, you know, there's death, there's death all the time. Yeah. There's death from natural causes. There's the guy that won the lottery. That was crazy. Fucking a million dollars. Yeah. And then that literally 23 days later, yeah. he was dead. And he, the, the, he, the first thing he did with the money was go to a doctor because he couldn't afford to go to a doctor. They were like, you have stage four cancer. Like how crazy is that? That's the that's the world we've built. Like yeah, and so where it's it's, and we've been so conditioned. I I think to be in acceptance with the world that has been created, quote unquote, for us by others, those that are in quote unquote power. Yeah. And I feel like we're waking up and we're saying fuck that shit. We're actually going to create our own world. We're going to create our own initiatives. We're going to create our own reality and that's why people are fucking terrified right now. Those in power at least. I mean there is this beautiful, like, I don't know, so much of the social media conversation is hand-wringing or outrage or anger and all of that stuff exists, but there are also these beautiful things that happen thanks to social media that would have never happened or at least not happened in the same form with the same quickness with social media and I mean it's just, I don't know, I think it's amazing that like there's a platform where you can be like, I'm having a bad mental health day and have friends, acquaintances, strangers, whoever just be like, hey, I hope your day goes better. Everything from that to like you know, uh, I need, I'm going to be homeless if I don't have a thousand dollars by the end of this month. And like, that's beautiful that we do that for people should, you know, there's the whole debate over like, 
uh, healthcare via the crowdfunding sites, and it sucks that people have to do that. This is the system we've built. But at the same time, you also have to look at that and just be like, wow, there are so many more generous people just out in the world living their lives humbly and without asking for anything all of the time who just want to give back and share. Um, and I mean, that's amazing. That's that's a social media side effect that like we don't talk about enough. Yeah, no, I talk... I, 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 I bring it up as often as I can because all of my real life friends yep. were originally Twitter friends. Like Lauren Warren, Chanel Little, you know, like. It's an increasing percentage of my social group too, which is sort of weird to me. I mean, look, I, th- I think the thing is, like you said, there's a lot of fucked up shit in the world. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of amazing shit. Mm-hmm. And. You know, one, the main reason I love film and and television and uh, and and sort of this insane industry in which we work is that it's it's an opportunity to sort of create moments of beauty and moments that are amazing and and spread them to the entire world. It's also probably the reason I'm most attracted to documentary and sort of real life stories as the basis for film. But yeah. There is beauty in this world. There's a lot of it. And a lot of it is sort of grand and pageant-ish. Um, you know, the, the Winter Olympics are coming up. I'm a big Olympics fan. That's part of why. There is a beauty in the entire world coming together to do a bunch of things competitively and then for a bunch of people who've like pursued uh, the most niche thing in the world <laughs> to either get everything they want in one moment or nothing they want in yeah, one moment and still sure. celebrate regardless because there's still winners. Yeah. There's a lot of just like utterly pedestrian beauty, and I think I know that old, the older I get, the more I find ballast in just the the totally mundane shit. Mm-hmm. Like a friend of mine posted a photo of a uh, of a little girl. She must have been ten. Like pigtails. Uh, I have no idea what her racial background was. She was brown. I'm guessing she was sort of multiracial by of some description. She was wearing a future president T-shirt. I kind of made my day. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and she wasn't wearing it to make anybody's day. Her mother didn't put it on her, or you know, he suggested she wears it to wear anybody's day. But I, I, and but my friend Trayvon took a photo of it. I saw the photo on Instagram, and it literally kept me happy for several hours. Yeah. And I think the more we open ourselves up to our capacity to appreciate that stuff and to seek it out and to let it wash over us no matter what else is going on, the, the, the easier I think it is to get through this world. Because I promise you, if you look for the good stuff, there is far more of that out there than there ever can be of the bad, no matter how much bad there is. And I say that knowing full well how awful the bad stuff is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I think it's an incredible thing when everything is scary and bad in the world around us and you can go into a movie theater and just, like, I had this experience with Call Me By Your Name. I had, like, a stressful day and I was like, oh, I need to see this movie. I'll go see this movie and just get your heart stomped on in the most delicious just, way. I'm laughing because I remember your tweets after the Yeah, movie. just like, <laughs> ah, fuck me up. <laughs> fuck me up. Um... But it's, I don't know, I always get really stoked when a movie makes me cry. I know some people are like, ooh, I'm tough. And like I'm just like, ah, if any piece of art can move me to tears, yeah. it's a pretty good day. Go. Well, fuck yes. Absolutely. I'm an easy cry. Yeah. I'll, I'll easier cry. as I get older, too. I'll cry, I'll cry two dozen times during the Winter Olympics. It's just a, it's a thing. Like, literally, any athlete crying, any, like sibling or parent or child of an athlete crying and celebrate like because you I'm, recognize I'm done. it yeah. because that's yeah. the thing it's our common it's the human thing yeah and also we've all had that moment exactly where we have waited for so long for that thing that's exactly right and we finally get to fucking receive it yep and we are so fucking overcome. And even if we haven't had that experience, that thing gets to be the fucking light yeah. for us. Like the beacon of, oh, that means there is hope for me too. Because yeah. I see, I saw their journey. I saw their experience. Yeah. I saw their struggle. I saw their trials and tribulations. And yet, here they are. And I feel like that's... Um, 
you know, also when it when it comes to film, where it's if it's if the story is shared effectively in every single way, shape, and form, there is a magic that happens where the audience is able to receive it in whatever way they're able to receive it in that moment. Mm -hmm. And they walk out of that theater completely changed. Even if it's in the smallest way where they decide to rethink their relationship with their sister or their brother or their partner. Mm -hmm. You know, they reevaluate, well, what are the choices I'm making in my life? And and does this align with who I am and where I am? And that's also why I feel like you don't have to love a movie. You can just as much hate a fucking movie. And I'm just as happy if you hate a movie yep. because that means that something has been hit within you. Yep, exactly right. <laughs> there is nothing worse than feeling apathetic and not giving up. Although I can think of a few bad movies where I'm like, no, it hit me and the, it was poorly crafted <laughs> perspective, but I know what you mean. But then the bright, but the bright side yeah. of that then, right, is... At least I know what a good Don't do that. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You learn in my opposition. And it's being true. that much more fucking appreciative that's actually of very, those that's that a very, That's a very good point. And the next time I see a good movie, I'm like, see, it can be done. Um, I, I'm going to close on this thought because I actually do need to run very soon. No, I'm gl- um, perfect timing. But um, there's this interview with Tupac Shakur shortly before he died that I always go back to, and it's such a weird. It's funny. I'll give these like public speeches, and I'm talking about very high-minded stuff like Miyazaki and like all this other stuff, yeah. and I close with with this quote, uh, and everyone's like, "Whoa, Tupac!" Okay, whiplash on references, but uh, someone I think it was MTV was like, "You know, Tupac, you know, do you think your music's going to change the world?" He was like, nah, man, like, look, uh, I think my music's going to change the minds that change the world because the world is, like, fucked up, and if I keep telling people how fucked up it is, maybe they'll change it. Amen. And that's kind of what all art has to be on some level, right? Like, even the most insane fantasy movies, on some level, you're trying to lay bare what it means to be human. You're trying to make people see the world a little bit differently when they leave than when they went in. And you may not be able to quantify it. You may not even be able to prove it or know the result of it. But in aggregate, especially with film and television, if a million or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people are slightly changed, it's, it's, sort of, it's fundamentally unknowable, but in, in aggregate it's undeniable that, that an individual movie can change the minds that change the world. Oh, fuck yes. And that's, that's why I'm here. And, and who knows whether you know we at the Blacklist will be successful in that or I as an individual will, but that's certainly the goal and we're going to keep trying. Amen to that. And what words of wisdom do you have before we end this? So um, I, I got a good one. I got a Kurt Vonnegut quote that I like to share. It's kind of become a family saying because like, I started sharing it and it's just this idea of taking care of yourself and the Vonnegut quote is, uh, and when you're happy, I urge you to murmur or exclaim at some point, if this isn't nice, then I don't know what is. And I mean, that can be everything from like, oh my God, I saw the cutest puppy on Instagram today to just like, I achieved this thing I've been working towards for 10 years. Just like, find the little joy, man. That's all we got right now. And like, savor every little bit of it. Because mm. yeah, that's all we can do. Yeah. Preach. Yeah, and that makes me think of that quote from The Hours, where she, where Meryl Streep's character is talking with uh, Ed Harris's character, and she talks about that I, I always wanted to go like wonder, like I, I always wondered what happiness was, and I never realized that it was in that moment. Like happiness, really, and joy, really is in the moment in the moment and I think the reason that most of us don't receive that is because we're afraid it's going to be our last we're so afraid we'll never have that experience again so we we mute it and we um, water it down so it doesn't hurt as much and, and we don't have to have the experience of agonizing ecstasy and bliss um, and so Hey, thank you guys so much. Thanks, thanks Heather. Yeah, thanks for, for having, having us. For for having me with you, um, and everybody else. Um, oh, I have a new website. 
It's heather-matarazzo.com. So go check it out um, and stuff. I completely forgot about that. And, and more importantly, just know that you are worthy of joy and you are worthy of love and you are worthy of brilliance and you are worthy of success. And um, if nobody has told you that you are loved today, let me be the one to tell you you are loved. Bye.